right, everybody, welcome in to uh, Brie TV for today, April 24th. 2019. Uh, my name is Mike Tess and I will be your guide through the world of uh, COPD related health topics and other miscellany today. It's good to be back after a little bit of a layoff. We had uh, at the beginning of the month, we had our annual uh, Michigan Society for Respiratory Care State Conference, uh, which uh, impeded on or impinged on the, the Wednesday where we normally do this, about every two weeks or so. Uh, and then uh, I realized in the next couple of weeks, I was going to be having other stuff come up on the every other Wednesday, so I gave it one more week off uh, and then ended up having another thing come up, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, but first, uh, if you're new to the program here, we are going to be talking about a topic of the day. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the variety of things that you can smoke or inhale or all of that kind of fun stuff uh, and some of the myth and the hype surrounding them. Um, we're going to take a look at uh, what we can do to hopefully uh, help some of the, or uh, to assist in some of those strategies and help keep some of those problems down a little bit. Um, and of course, we are going to get to uh, your questions, uh, hopefully answered to your satisfaction live on Facebook here. Just as soon as I collect all of my notes here, uh, first off, I do want to say a great thank you to uh, Char, David, Craig, show volume again. We gotta have the volume back, right? Coming through on the headphones. Come on, man. So some people have volume, some people don't. Um, it's coming through well on my end with the uh, with the headphones here. Um, Trying to keep it uh, at a point where there's also relatively little background sound. I do have kind of a squeaky chair, unfortunately, and uh, sometimes that does make a difference. But we do have things uh, as loud as I can possibly get them. So we are going to go ahead and continue on. Um, hopefully, see, there's that squeaky chair thing going on. Hopefully, it's not going to be too much of an issue. Uh, do check your computer's audio and that sort of thing. Um, everything should be coming through here. So. Uh, again, if you're new to the program, we do these topics. Uh, first thing we start off with is some of the COPD news of the week, and we are going to do that just right now. Uh, I really ought to get some kind of special sound effect or something like that, make that go cooler. But at any rate, uh, we are going to talk first about this new um, investigative procedure, technique, piece of equipment kind of deal. Uh, called the Rejuvenare. This is a recently got a um, FDA approval for an experimental intervention. Uh, kind of taking a page from the asthma world for many years, um, we have used heat to go in and kind of uh, melt, burn, sear, saute, whatever we want to call some of the uh, excess, uh, the defective cells in the um, um, in the airways, in the, in the uh, what we call the epithelial cells, or the cells that line the airway. Uh, this one goes a little bit different route. This actually used cryogenics, uses cryogenics uh, to freeze some of those cells. And the net effect here is that um, these the cells called goblet cells that are uh, line the airway and kind of overgrow uh, in the setting of COPD, especially the chronic bronchitis kind of stuff, those cells die. Uh, but it leaves some of the existing framework in place so that new cells, the, the more what we call the ciliated cells, the ones that have the little hairs on them that help move the mucus out of the airways, 
um, those actually regrow. And uh, that way it cuts down in theory on some of the mucus production and also makes it a little bit easier to clear that stuff out. Um, what we're looking at right now is because it is an investigative procedure, uh, they are looking to enroll about 330 people uh, for this procedure um, starting in June. Um, the primary investigator on this project is a, a longtime pulmonologist and COPD expert by the name of Dr. Gerald Kreiner at uh, Temple, um, who has done uh, an incredible amount of work in COPD, particularly some of the um, what I call the mechanical interventions, uh, some of the surgical things or, or the, uh, the even the bronchoscopic things like the lung coils and things like that. He has been a, a leading voice in a lot of those things. So this is a very exciting trial and I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how uh, this pans out uh, in the coming year. Next up, uh, if I have all my buttons right here, yes, um, we have a couple of things of good news coming out of the world of medications. Um, first off, we have a, a new medication, um, sort of new medication, I guess. It's, it's a technically a new medication, but it's a combination of two things that have been around for a while. Um, the nice thing about this is that it is a, 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 what we call a llama-lava combination, or the long-acting muscarinic antagonist and long-acting beta-agonist bronchodilators together in one inhaler device um, without the inhaled corticosteroid that uh, often leads to some increased uh, unnecessarily or, or um, unfortunately increased risk. So it's another tool uh, that can be a frontline intervention for uh, many people with COPD. Um, again, the components here, are, well, first, I guess I should mention the name of it is actually called DuaClear. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. I read it, have not heard it out loud yet. Um, D-U-A-K-L-I-R. It uh, seems like it should be like Google Clear, but I guess that's why I'm not in marketing. Uh, the upshot here is that uh, it is a medication called Tudorza, which many of you may be familiar with, uh, as well as another medication called Formoterol, uh, which is generally available. Most people know Formoterol as uh, one of the components in, in Spireva, um, and, which is not a powder. But for a while, it was actually available uh, in, a, in a medication, it was available by itself in a medication called Foradil uh, that has been off the market for a little bit. That was a powder. Uh, and so it's pretty straightforward to integrate those two things into a powder together. Um, it is a twice daily medication, um, which can be good and can be not so good. Um, but uh, at any rate, in my view, it is always great to have some extra tools uh, in the tool chest to help um, keep some of those issues at bay. All right, so we've got Craig mentioning he still can't hear me. I'm gonna, I've got this going on another screen here, so we're gonna see, oh, that made some noise. So let's see if the video is coming through. Always great to have some extra tools uh, in the tool chest to help. It is coming through on another, so I am really uncertain exactly what's going on with those folks who don't have audio. Um, I am unfortunately at a loss here. Um, Got to be some kind of technical glitch between here and there because it's coming through um, via Facebook even pretty clearly. So I'm not sure what's going on. Hopefully we can get that figured out. But uh, the other thing, uh, the other positive news for this company called Circassia um, is that Tudorza itself, Aquadinium, um, 
they kind of picked up another FDA uh, label indication that demonstrates that their medication is safe and effective uh, even in the setting of cardiovascular illness, which of course many people with COPD have heart stuff going on. Uh, so that's a good thing. Um, whether it's entirely relevant is a little bit up for debate in my opinion. I think where a lot of it came from is for a long time, uh, it was thought that teotropium or Spiriva had some increased uh, risk of cardiovascular effect. That has since been proven to not really be accurate, uh, not, hasn't really been discovered in follow-up studies. And so I kind of wonder if getting this label thing is really more of a uh, thumbing their nose at uh, Spiriva than anything else. Um, but anything, I guess, that demonstrates relatively low risk is pretty good news for the community at large. So that is that. Uh, third piece of news today is on a different button. There we go. Uh, so for, for many years, and, and I was taught this also in, even in, re in my own career in respiratory school, beta blockers are generally not a great idea for people with COPD. And that kind of makes sense. If you're on a, a beta agonist kind of medication like albuterol for example one of the most common ones in theory if you have um, a beta blocker that is preventing these beta receptors from doing their thing and, and bronchodilating and having cardiovascular effects and all that stuff um, your your beta agonist is not going to work either and so you're not not only are you going to get the effects to keep down your blood pressure and things like that, you're also not going to get those bronchodilator effects. However, as we have done more research and um, more isolated some of the different subtypes of beta receptors, we've been able to kind of figure out which beta receptors are in the lungs and which ones are in the heart and of course create new medications that more specifically target that to keep some of the adverse effects down. Um, and beta blockers are of course part of that conversation and what we're seeing now is uh, um, oh, I can barely hear. Well, I, I can do something about that at least. Uh, we'll turn up that volume a little bit. Maybe it's just not playing nice with the stream. But um, at any rate, so um, there's this relatively new one. Depend. I mean, one source called the new one source said it's been around for about thirty years. So it kind of depends, I guess, probably what country you're in and that sort of thing. Uh, called bisoprolol. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. That's another one that you see a lot read and you never really say out loud that much. Um, they're looking at trying to figure out um, whether beta blockers can actually have some benefit. They have shown that certain kinds of beta blockers actually do reduce that cardiovascular risk in, in people with COPD because they're only targeting the heart. They're not blocking the effects of the, the beta agonist bronchodilators. They're not having any of those effects. And when you're able to take some of the load off the heart, then, you know, again, generally that's a better outcome. That's going to be more effective for people and uh, reduce their risk on that, particularly with people who may not know that they have uh, any kind of cardiovascular or heart problem at all, kind of call it the silent or, or unknown risk factor there. So there's a study in England right now that's starting up uh, called the Bix study by Soprolol and COPD study. Uh, they are looking at for about 1,500 people. Uh, you're eligible to participate if you're 40 years or older and have had at least two symptom flares or exacerbations in the last uh, year. 
um, so that we can try to figure out whether this uh, this beta blocker in particular can be of use and can be helpful. Uh, the thought is it can potentially reduce that cardiovascular risk by about a third, um, a third fewer heart attacks, a third fewer cardiovascular you know, bad things happening. So, um, you know, whether that pans out or not, um, again, it's going to be a nice thing to, uh, to uh, have in the tool chest and, and see what happens. So, um, still having some feed problems here and there, but we're going to keep on trucking along. Um, the reason I was a bit late today, I am very excited to announce we had another meeting today. We are going to be having the second annual, come on, clicky things, uh, second annual fundraiser COPD golf outing right here in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We're looking at September 7th at the Red Arrow Golf Course. If any of you are interested or happen to be in the Kalamazoo area or want to uh, take a road trip for whatever reason, um, this is a, a great event I'll put on by a local uh, COPD advocate, uh, a person living with COPD himself named Mike, Mike Pascal, um, who volunteers at the course uh, and has a passion for golf and obviously has a passion for COPD advocacy. Uh, he put on this event last year, um, was able to raise about $600 for COPD awareness and research for the COPD Foundation. Uh, we're looking to make that even bigger and even better this year. So we're going to have uh, this nine-hole scramble. You can put together a foursome. You can come out and we'll put you in a foursome. Uh, we're going to have some prizes. We're going to have some games at a lot of the holes closest to the pin. The really nice thing about this particular course is that it's all par threes. It's all relatively short. Um, Mike tells me that he's had, uh, again, he has uh, COPD himself and he has several friends who have COPD and they're able to walk the course in about an hour or so. Um, so come on, heck, uh, if you're in the area, come on down, um, sign up for a foursome. It's for a very good cause, of course. Uh, I may be a little bit biased, but uh, you know, of course, uh, COPD is a pretty good cause in my book uh, and we're looking to have a good time. Uh, we're gonna have more information available very soon through the Breathe Kalamazoo website. Um, breathekzoo.com. Um, we'll also be promoting that a little bit on Facebook. Uh, you can go to their Facebook page. Uh, we'll share the link through COPD Navigator because uh, I happen to know a guy. Um, and we will um, hopefully uh, see a lot of people there, have a great turnout. Um, again, if any of you happen to know uh, any of our local industrial complex, retail industrial complex here in Kalamazoo, we're also looking for some sponsorship opportunities. Uh, or we have some sponsorship opportunities so that we can put even more money towards COPD awareness and research. So uh, that is our news of the two, three, four-ish weeks. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of our stuff is uh, targeted toward tobacco cessation, getting off cigarettes, getting uh, um even to the expense sometimes of even cigars and pipes and stuff like that. Um, we want to get people off of tobacco. But we have a couple of other new contenders coming out these days. You know, the first thing we see is that in many states, uh, marijuana is becoming, um, is becoming legal, both for medicinal purposes and for recreational purposes. And while we have been concerned about this in the past uh, from a, an illicit substances point of view, it's becoming for better or for worse. And now I am by no means any kind of reefer madness guy, but I'm also not, um, you know, going out to, to get my green card or whatever, my med Mary card, whatever we want to call it. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm more of a personal independence kind of guy. Um, so I, I try to split down the middle with this. Um, this is not at all intended to make anybody afraid or, or, or to cause anything. This is just kind of to, to present what we know and what we don't know about this particular substance. It's always very controversial. Um, when Navigator first started, when our Facebook group, COPD Navigator, first started, there were it was really iffy for a long time. How much do we talk about it? Um, how little do we talk about it? Uh, what focus do we put on it? Because it was very much still illegal, uh, as it is at the federal level here in the U.S. at least. Um, but, you know, again, it's becoming a lot more mainstream. Here in Michigan, we have uh, um, legalized uh, medical marijuana. We have... Uh, some recreational uh, decriminalization, at least. Um, and so it's important that we start having the conversation, at least, about some of the risks and, and some of the potential benefits. So, um, first off, what we know. We do know that in many cases, marijuana does have some anti-cancer effects. Um, we have seen that a lot in a variety of models, and we have even seen it a little bit in, uh, in human models, although um, the, the research opportunities have been fairly limited by federal law. Um, we do know, and, and so that has kind of led us to a point also where we see that in some studies, we get uh, the good old conflicting data. Um, we have seen that some tumors, particularly uh, perha and perhaps ironically uh, lung tumors uh, and certain brain tumors actually do tend to grow a little bit more quickly in the presence of marijuana smoke or uh, marijuana chemicals, I should say. So. Well, by and large, we do consider it to have some what we call anti-neoplastic or anti-cancer elements. Um, it is something that as it becomes more widespread, we are definitely taking a second look at to see if some of those earlier assumptions are truly valid. Similarly, uh, or less controversially, I guess, um, we do know that it has a lot of palliative effects. It is a pretty potent painkiller. Um, it is, uh, it does tend to have some, some appetite regulation effects to it. So, uh, it can help in the, in the presence of, of, uh, chemotherapy and things like that. Um, it can give people their appetite back. Um, it, it, it does have some of the, you know, the, the painkiller effects, anti-anxiety effects. There are a lot of good things to it. And anecdotally, uh, it does seem to have somewhat fewer side effects than some other uh, more, uh, perhaps we call it more synthetic, more pharmaceutical grade interventions. Some of that, uh, it's thought, comes from um, the, the idea that you can self-titrate the dose a little bit better. You know, if you take two hits and you're done, then you're done. Uh, whereas it's hard to, you take a little bit of a pill and then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Uh, it's difficult to kind of titrate that dose to where you're comfortable, and so that gives you a little bit more um, window for um, not necessarily an overdose, but a hyperdose, uh, where you get a little bit more of the increased uh, adverse effects. Um, the effect that it has on COPD is entirely unclear. Um, an uh, again, a few of the initial studies seem to suggest that it was not as damaging to the lungs. Uh, tobacco, or, uh, marijuana smoke was not as damaging to the lungs as tobacco smoke, um, which was thought to be fantastic news, especially for that segment of the community that, that is really enthusiastic about marijuana. But um, as, as uh, the prevalence has gone up and as uh, some research opportunities have presented themselves, we found that kind of in general that's true. 
Um, but also when you do get, it, when, when somebody does get COPD related to marijuana smoke, it tends to be much worse. Uh, we tend to see higher areas of what we call uh, a bullae or you know the, the big air sacs in the lungs that can rupture very easily and cause uh, what we call pneumothorax where you have a lot of, it's a part of the lung collapses and ruptures and it's really a bad deal. Um, we see that it's again far more aggressive damage, far more significant damage. So it, it's you know it's a bigger gamble. You know you even if it comes down to the idea that if you're less likely to you may be less likely to get it, but if you get it, it's going to be a lot worse. I don't know that that's a gamble that I would want to take. Um, but again, to kind of teach their own. So with uh, with that, it's thought that. Some of it is dose dependent. You know, again, as some of this stuff um, becomes more mainstream, people are admitting to it a little bit more and admitting to their consumption a little bit more. And we're also starting to see people who are openly consuming a little bit more and don't. And so we have kind of this, this early effect uh, where we can see it. And we do see that um, perhaps even more so than tobacco, um, your, your likelihood of risk is very much dose dependent. The more you smoke, the heavier you smoke, the longer you smoke, uh, marijuana, the more likely it is that you are going to have some of these negative effects. Now, again, not to say that everybody does or everybody doesn't, or you know, there's not a dose effect in tobacco smoke or anything like that. Um, some of this stuff is very related, you know, and it kind of makes sense. You can stand in front of a bonfire, and if you're doing that for hours a day and days on end, you're probably going to have some negative effects, just like if you were standing, you know, smoking a lot. So, but uh, the biggest argument is that it does seem to be a little bit more dose dependent in COPD or uh, um, in marijuana. So then this whole idea comes out with, well, there's a lot of chemicals in marijuana that you don't necessarily, that aren't necessarily released um, just by smoking. So there's this whole idea of having, um, sooner or later I'll figure out how all these things work. Maybe there's this whole idea of having oils, um, you know, kind of um, distilling or extracting or whatever you pressing, whatever it is you have to do to get the oil out of um, the, the cannabis leaf. Uh, and then using the oil, um, sometimes people will vape it. Sometimes we'll people will just kind of put it, uh, uh, which we'll get to vaping in a minute, but sometimes people will just kind of put it under their, their tongue or, or what have you ingest it somehow um, and theoretically get the effects that way without the negative things of uh, involved in actually smoking. But this has some issues too. Um, actually, somebody was just asking me the other day about, you know, what, where do we fall on, on where some of the oils are compared to, you know, there are a couple of, of main uh, types of oil. There's this whole, uh, there is a CBD oil. Um, which honestly, I'm blanking and forgot to write down what the uh, what the actual uh, acronym stands for. But this is probably the one that most people um, are more likely to see because this has none of the psychoactive chemical in it. The thing in marijuana that makes you high, that THC, uh, CBD oil does not have that in it. Uh, it has some of the other cannab cannabinoid compounds um, that are theoretically have some of that beneficial effect. 
So this is the thing where you tend to see in states where you have medicinal marijuana because then people can actually grow the things and extract the oils and all that stuff. So people are fairly familiar with it. Most of the evidence uh, pro or con about the effects of CBD oil come from animal studies. Again, because there hasn't been a lot of um, usage uh, and there have been some federal laws that uh, prohibit research and, and severely restrict the opportunities for research, most of what has been done has come from the animal world. Um, right now, there is really only one approved uh, usage for this CBD oil, and that's for epilepsy. They have demonstrated benefit in reduced seizure activity uh, in those people who are living with epilepsy, and uh, that's, where, that's where things are. Perhaps the bigger issue than no proof of efficacy, uh, which is a little bit weird for an evidence guy to say, is that there's not really any kind of regulation or quality control over a lot of these things either. Um, there was a 2017 study that was done. Um, I couldn't find exactly how many they studied, um, but they found that about 70% of the extracts that this particular uh, academic research group looked at um, did not have the, the advertised dose, strength, concentration, whatever, of uh, CBD oil in it. They found that uh, about half of it, ha half of these oils had uh, less than advertised, um, and about 25% had about uh, had more than once what was advertised. And more worryingly, about one in five of the, the particular samples that they looked at actually had THC in it. So if you're taking this, this CBD oil thinking that you're gonna be just fine on a drug screen because the label said it's got no THC in it, uh, and then you, for whatever reason, have to take a drug test at work or, or whatever, and suddenly pop positive for cannabinoids, um, you're probably going to have a bad day and you're probably going to be a little bit confused because you know all well, the label said so well just like you can't read everything you see on the internet you can't always necessarily believe everything you you read on a label either particularly in an industry that has very little oversight uh, and now again i don't want to go all big brother on people either but when we have product safety concerns when we're playing with people's health in my view it's pretty important to have pretty significant regulation, just like we would want food safety laws and all that sort of thing. We definitely want some of these industries to be a little bit more regulated than they are. We have also discovered um, that there can be some significant effects with uh, our interactions with, uh, with uh, um, other prescription or with prescription medications. Uh, particularly, I believe one that was mentioned was chemotherapy drugs. You know, a lot of times people are using these oils in conjunction with chemotherapy because they're trying to get all the maximum benefit possible. And it really had significant effects on the uptake of the, their prescription medications. Uh, in some cases, that's a good thing. You know, if you, if you can absorb a medication more readily, then that can be good. But also a lot of these medications are approved at certain strengths because that takes into account the absorption characteristics of that medication and when you start playing around with that then you start getting into at the very minimum adverse effects nausea vomiting headaches all that sort of thing uh, and in the more extreme cases you can have some pretty severe reactions cardiac arrhythmias and that sort of thing so usually when it comes down to a lot of these supplements and things like that um, I, my general rule is that um, they generally don't hurt so try it and if it works for you and if you use less of your prescriptions then so be it that's fantastic 
this is something that you really have to be a lot more cautious with. It's not to say that they are completely ineffective because frankly, we don't have evidence of that either. We have some a very preliminary data that shows that, yeah, they've got some potential, but they also have a lot of potential for side effects. So buyer beware. Uh, on a similar note, there's this other stuff called uh, FICO or full extract cannabis oil. Um, sometimes it's called Rick Simpson oil because he's the gentleman, I believe from Canada, who kind of uh, started this, this movement. Um, and that one, because again, largely because of, of the, the restrictions on research, there is zero evidence to support its use. Um, it has a lot of other issues to go along with it. Also, uh, most notably, you have to make it yourself. You can get you know, the, the raw products, but there's a lot of chemistry involved, a lot of solvents, a lot of extracts, a lot of that sort of thing. And whenever you have a complicated process, whether it's making medications or riding a bike or whatever, uh, the more steps you have, the more risk, the more failure points you have, the more risk that something will go wrong. Uh, from what I was reading, I haven't, I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't tried to make it myself, so I can't really say. Um, a lot of the things that are used are very flammable, and so if you uh, happen to have a spark or a flame nearby, you know, there's potential for that. Um, you know, again, unless you are a chemist by trade, you're going low Walter White, Breaking Bad on us. Um, there's questions about consistency and quality control. There's questions about dosing. One source I was looking at uh, suggested you start off with a dollop the size of a grain of sand, um, which again is kind of a, as a, as an evidence guy, it, it's tough for me to do that, you know, because what kind of rice are we talking about? Is it going to be consistent from one dose to another? What happens if it's too much or too little? Uh, when do you give up? I mean, it, it's really, really tough. Plus, by its very nature, um, these do tend to have more THC in them because they are the full extract. So, um, again, a little bit more risk for some of those psychoactive effects, interactions, drug test results, all that kind of fun stuff. So again, this is, um, uh, yes, thank you for uh, clarifying those. I know it's a lot of uh, three-letter alphabet soup, uh, so I appreciate David throwing some of those out there. And that is definitely some good, uh, good advice. Never get oils from anywhere else but a dispensary. But again, also consider that um, we, I know here in Michigan, we actually just had a crackdown about uh, several unlicensed dispensaries. So again, this is not, I, 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 whenever people ask me, whether in my, in my clinical roles or just as advice, I'm not, not a Puritan. I'm not reefer madness. I'm not saying you got to avoid the devil weed, all that stuff. Um, but I'm also not Willie Nelson or, or Snoop Dogg either. I mean, don't, if you are, if you understand the risks, and you are willing to accept the risks, then by all means, try it. I do not want to take this out of anybody's hands. But you have to be aware that there are significant risks involved. There are significant risks as, uh, from, a, from a legal standpoint, from a uh, chemical standpoint, from a medical standpoint. And I would be remiss in my own ethics if I didn't warn people of that. Um, before I just said, yeah, going down to your corner uh, shop, hydroponics or whatever euphemism your particular municipality calls it, uh, and, and load up because uh, there are some risks. On that note, um, we're going to uh, slide into the next topic, which also has a fair bit of hidden risks. 
and that is this idea of what are formerly known as electronic nicotine delivery systems or ENDs. Um, these are vapes, these are e-cigs, electronic cigarettes, Juuls, uh, it's a brand name, yeah, so you know, it's kind of become a little bit genericized like Kleenex or Xerox, Band-Aid. Um, a lot of the, you know, all of these things, and I want to make sure that we're, we're careful to discuss all of those because I have uh, experienced it myself, and I have heard from our, our local, some of our local task forces that people really don't understand that at their heart, these are all kind of the same device. You know, we ha I've, I asked somebody about, uh, they were talking about their, their electronic cigarette, and I said, so how many times are you hitting your vape? And they said, got and got pretty adamant, not angry but insistent I don't vape I have an electronic cigarette and it's like you know, th these are all the same terminologies uh, you know I, I heard a story the other day we were at uh, um, um, one of our um, substance abuse task force meetings and um, they had a, a story from uh, one of the the local convenience stores said um, we don't we don't sell um, e-cigs we just sell can't remember what it was. It wasn't Jules. Another one of the the mass-produced, you know, the big tobacco companies are now getting into this. We don't sell e-cigs. We sell blue. I think it was. We sell blues. And it's like, well, yeah, you can put a brand name on it, but it's still an electronic cigarette. So it's kind of a rose is a rose is a rose by any other name uh, kind of situation. But it's important that we we highlight that because people are not aware of that. These are all the same kinds of devices, and they have all the same kind of risks. They also look very much different. This is one picture that I found of a couple of different ones that look uh, kind of like jukeboxes or whatever. We've got some that look like traditional cigarettes. We've got some that look like pipes, which was a, a new one for me. Uh, and then this is the aforementioned Jewel, which is kind of a, a really big deal right now because as you can see, this is very nondescript. This is, looks very much like um, a flash drive, you know, a computer drive, or a battery pack for a phone. I actually um, have one in my briefcase, and I looked at it, and I was like, wow, I didn't even realize how much this looks. This could be um, one of these vape, devi vape devices. And these are different from traditional cigarettes in that um, they, nothing really burns. Um, what they do, and it's also different than a nebulizer, which is another issue that, that people have kind of brought up, uh, in that with a nebulizer, there's a, a fluid that is coming into a mist because of either air pressure or um, a vibrating mesh or ultrasonic mesh or you know a couple of different things. Um, what happens with this is that this is actually kind of a, it's a fluid. It's usually, it's like um, kind of a lighter fluidy kind of, uh, oily, kind of uh, viscous sometimes, you know, again, depending on, on where you get it from, that is heated by an electronic coil to a vapor point. You know, any kind of liquid is going to have a point in, at which it becomes vapor. It's not really burning it because it's not a solid, but I guess it's kind of the liquid equivalent. Um, and so the thought is that this is kind of a safer alternative because while well, I'm not burning anything, I don't have the particulate matter, I don't have the ash, I don't have the, the tar, I don't have any of those things. And there is some logic to that. Um, and in some of the very short-term studies that we have had, um, that's been true. They, they tend to have, tend to, again, tend to have a fewer short-term effects than traditional combustible tobacco. But, and this is big but, 
we do not know what some of the long-term ramifications of these devices are. Whenever you put something into your lungs, you're going to take some kind of risk. That's true with tobacco smoke, that's true with vapes, that's true with medications. We know that when you breathe in, you know, sometimes there are uh, effects with that. Uh, and electronic cigarettes, vapes, whatever, they're, they're no different. There are, there are issues with these too, and we don't know um, what the long-term effects are. Now, some of them are a little bit overhyped. There's this whole idea, in my view, again, this is, this is just me speaking uh, in my personal capacity. It does not reflect the views of any association or organization I'm affiliated with. Um, that, but you know, like we talk a lot about popcorn lung. There's this idea of popcorn lung, which is so named because it was this chemical that was aerosolized in a microwave popcorn factory. A lot of the workers started to get this weird kind of fibrotic buildup in them. And um, that chemical is also present in, in uh, most um, electronic cigarette juice, vape juice, e-cig, liquid, whatever, e-liquid, whatever we call it. Does that necessarily mean that it's going to lead directly to popcorn lung? Not necessarily, because again, a lot of this stuff is dose dependent. It's a possibility, and that's why we don't recommend it for people, generally, um, but it is a possibility. Um, oh, so I messed up one of them. Well, we'll come back to the NRT and medications in a minute. Um, so, like I said, my, the, the key takeaway here is a lot of this stuff has mixed evidence at best. If you look at a lot of the studies that come out, um, once a week you'll probably see one that's like, well, no, they're not really effective. And yes, they are effective. There was one study that was a little bit controversial, came out, uh, touched on it very briefly in a previous episode of, uh, of Breathe TV. Um, it came out in the New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very well-respected, peer-reviewed scientific journal, often considered one of the, um, the top things of it. Um, that, um, where was I going with this? Oh, it said that um, electronic cigarettes are very, uh, that were, they were an effective tool to help people quit smoking. That was the conclusion. What was, missed in the conclusion was that yes a lot of the people had stopped using the tobacco the the burning the, the combustible tobacco but many of those same people were still using a vape pen 18 months afterwards so have you is it a good thing that you've transferred the addiction is it, it we kind of know what's going to happen with combustible tobacco we don't know what's going to happen with the e-cig so we've kind of transferred you know a known risk to an unknown risk we think maybe ish that it's less harmful but we don't know so uh, is it a good thing is, is that really cessation i don't know that i would really call it cessation but uh, a lot of this stuff is still so new that we don't have the long-term effects data yet um, and that's not really a risk I would recommend. I would be comfortable with anybody advising anybody to take. Um, the best idea I, or the best advice I have seen so far comes from, uh, I think it was uh, somebody at uh, American Thoracic Society said, it's kind of a last resort. If, we're, if you're having struggles getting somebody off of, off of tobacco, 
try it, you know, because maybe you can prolong things, you can lower the relative risk, you can do some of that kind of stuff. That's where these things are right now. However, their other big downside is that they are literally a gateway. Uh, you know, the gateway theory of drug use is very controversial, obviously, but um, these have pretty well demonstrated in teenagers that they do lead to other stuff. Uh, that leads me to hopefully too many windows open here. Yeah, here we go. Um, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier the Kalamazoo Area uh, Substance Abuse Task Force recently uh, unveiled their community report on various substances, including alcohol. And uh, Landon brings up a very good point about um, alcohol has risks just like marijuana and just like everything else, and many people choose to do that. Again, I'm not telling people what to do, what not to do. My job, uh, in my view, is to inform. I can give you my advice. I can give you my opinion. But everybody, at the end of the day, your decision is your decision. That's life. Um, but what we are seeing is uh, we've got uh, the, the, I actually have a physical copy of the report right here. Uh, maybe I've been leaning the wrong way all this time. But um, what we're seeing is that we are seeing a massive upswing in, uh, let's see if I can get that a little bit closer to the camera, in uh, electronic cigarette use uh, and declines in traditional cigarette use. And these are, these are in our high school students. These are 7th to 11th graders that they did this study on. Um, many of them are borrowing them from friends or uh, some of them are getting them from the internet. Um, 30% of these students said it was easy for them to access electronic cigarettes. Um, and because in, in order to look at what was driving some of this stuff, the group also did um, some focus studies or some, uh, let's see. I had all of this in order. Oh, here it is. Just got covered up. So they did some focus groups uh, in Kalamazoo with uh, middle and high school students in Kalamazoo County um, back in 2018. And uh, they found that teenagers thought the use of electronic cigarettes uh, and also marijuana um, were more prevalent in their peers um, than abusing prescription drugs, which was not necessarily the case. Uh, in general, the students who participated in the focus groups thought marijuana and e-cigarettes both were, were more were safer and healthier. Um, and uh, they were seen, uh, e-cigs in particular, specifically were seen as a healthier, cleaner alternative to tobacco cigarettes. Um, they asked uh, what were some of the reasons for use for some of this stuff. Uh, some of them liked the taste. Uh, you know, of course, that was a big turnoff for a lot of people. Uh, not getting into smoking was cigarette smoke doesn't generally taste all that good. But these e-cigarette juices can be flavored, and there's bubble gum and French toast cinnamon and all that stuff um, to do tricks you know there's kind of apparently this whole subculture genre on social media where they do they have these giant vape cloud contests and do all these smoke ring tricks and uh, all that kind of stuff um, helps with anxiety use it to stop smoking there's a lot of these things that that people aren't necessarily understanding the risks and again uh, it's not necessarily about shaking a finger at anybody and saying don't do that. It's about understanding the risks. And when you're a teenager, 
uh, as a parent of three of them, I can tell you that they don't always understand the risks and they don't always understand the 30, 40, 50 year run on effects. So the big concern is we have actually been making some strides in anti-tobacco efforts uh, in that age group, but now we're seeing the whole cycle come up again where people aren't understanding some of the risks are being hidden um, or at the very least masked. And uh, the concern is we're going to be say, seeing the exact same thing we've seen um, all the way going all the way back to uh, Sea Everett Coop and Great American Smokeouts and all that stuff, um, where this is going to be an issue down the road. Uh, before I get into the last thing here, I'm just going to uh, scroll back just a little bit. Teens are using the jewel like crazy. Uh, they're becoming addicted worse than cigs. Yeah, absolutely, because not only do they have nicotine in them, which is a stimulant, or they can have nicotine in them. Again, this is an area where there's very low regulation, and things can happen from one supplier to another. Um, they taste good. I mean, if you were, you know, it's like chewing a gum. Or, you know, if you like mint, you can get mint. If you like butterscotch, you can get butterscotch. You know, there are places that advertise dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of different liquids so yeah you, you get all kinds of positive brain chemical reinforcement with that and it is definitely going to be a harder addiction to break so yes i would say that vaping is not good um, the only thing that's going into your lungs is air the only thing they were designed to take in uh, maybe a little bit of water vapor here and there it never hurts but uh, uh, edibles you know again from an ethical professional standpoint, not necessarily going to take a stand on that, but um, I will say that they're better than inhalables. Uh, be safe, don't smoke anything, that's cool. Uh, getting a medical marijuana card is going to be very dependent on where you live. Uh, state laws vary tremendously from, from state to state. Um, you usually have to... Um, get some kind of uh, diagnosis. Looks like uh, in this case, Laura, you do have a diagnosis. You gotta uh, get some, uh, at least one physician on board. You have to live in a state where it's legal, all that kind of stuff. Um, in theory, that's the case. Although I do recall when I had a good chuckle a few years back walking in San Francisco, um, in uh, I believe it was in Haight-Ashbury and uh, uh, Street Corner, somebody asked me if I wanted a, a medical marijuana card. Um, I did not, I was still fairly overweight at the time, but I did not appear to have any kind of respiratory distress or anything like that. He was just kind of passing them out. So um, again, going to vary wildly depending on where you are. So I, I would not feel comfortable giving advice on that uh, at this particular time. Um, but you should have uh, uh, websites available in, uh, for your state that can give you some pointers. Um, your uh, clinician, your, your physician team might be able to point you in the right direction. There are probably some community resources. Um, if that's something you're interested in and you understand all the risks and all that kind of stuff, then uh, I would um, advise you to, to check out that route there. Also, hey, Sam, good to see you too. Good to see you up and moving around a little bit. I hope you're feeling a little bit better. Sam's been down and out a little bit. Um, some people are having trouble with volume and some people aren't. I don't really, um, I, I mean, I can we'll probably get a little bit of reverb here, but I'll turn, I have a computer off to the side here where I'm getting um, some of the messages. Around Looking a around a little bit. A little bit better. Sam's been down now a little bit. Um, yeah, some people are having trouble. This computer is at like three quarters volume and it, it's working, so. I have 
absolutely no idea what's going on with with some of the sound today. It seems to be hit or miss. Seems to be very dependent on your type of Facebook or your device. Unfortunately, I don't know. Uh, so, we talked uh, quite a bit about electronic cigarettes not particularly being great or often recommended for um, uh, quitting smoking. Um, so, what can we do to quit smoking, or what can we do even to quit some of the um, um, the issues or uh, the other addictive processes? that you might be going on. You know, if you, we talked to that, that the jewels, the electronic cigarettes are, it can be very addictive. Um, so what do you want to do if you, if you want to start quitting some of those habits? Um, the first thing I always advise people is, you know, we do have some very effective things to do because there is definitely in the, in the medication realm. And I know that, um, I've been called a shill before I've been called uh, you know, big pharma, I actually started my group because I got kicked out of another group because I was just all about big, big healthcare and big pharma and big medicine, uh, creating, uh, creating customers and not patients and all that stuff. But in this case, there is a very real phenomenon of chemical dependence in a lot of people. Uh, nicotine is a stimulant; it is addictive, um, and there is that component where your body continues to crave that. Fortunately, with 21st century chemistry, we have a couple of different ways to go about that. We have uh, nicotine replacement. It's been around for a while. Patches, gums, lozenges, uh, inhalers, all that kind of stuff um, to help kind of titrate down the dose uh, because that is, in for many people, that is an effective therapy. We see about 1 in 10 people are able to just wake up one day and quit cold turkey, pack a day to nothing. Usually, it, it, it's, a, it's a pathway. You usually have to go down and take some steps to go with that. And nicotine replacement, whichever variety is, is most convenient for you, is often the best way to, uh, to go about that. Uh, we also have a couple of things that work more on the, the neurochemistry of, of dependence. Um, these are things you're probably familiar with, the brand names Chantix or Varenicline um, or Zyban, which is bupropion. Um, those work again on, on to restore some of the to to rebalance some of the biochemical stuff that's going on and reduce some of the award centers uh, reward centers for addictions. <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, it's allergy season here in Michigan. So we do have those things and they are very effective in breaking the chemical part of the addiction. But of course, that is not the only part of uh, a habit. And so oftentimes, in my view, we do tend to be a little bit reliant on some of those, those chemical medicinal uh, remedies. And we forget about some of uh, the habits and the rituals and all those things that go along with um, having a habit. We, I, I point a lot to the idea of people waking up for 20 years and immediately they got their cup of coffee in one hand and they got their cigarette in the other hand. And when you don't have that ritual, there is a part of your brain that doesn't like that at all. Um, doesn't, like the, uh, doesn't like the idea of immediately changing a habit. Um, like David, he's, he's one of that one in 10. Um, acupuncture is another one is an interesting way I, I don't have a lot of data on that today but that is certainly something that a lot of people have talked about 
Um, and again, it's the idea of just of not necessarily relying on the medicine, but you know, going back to this whole idea of habit change, where um, you you there's a part of your brain that does not at all like to change its rituals. And I heard a really good analogy on it from a gentleman by the name of Z Dog MD back in our, our he was at our National Respiratory Conference in December, where he talked a lot about the idea of. The, the people in, in uh, I think it's Asia, that ride elephants. Um, you know, they have, you, you have the little car that sits on top of the elephant and you have a, a human that, that sits up there and they, they ride the elephant around. Or, you know, like, uh, what was it, Hannibal went through the mountains and conquered parts of Africa. Or my history teacher father is probably rolling in his grave right now. But whatever, you know, you're riding the elephant, okay? And as a, as a human, as a sentient, conscious, intelligent person, you are in charge. You know, you're the smartest person there. You're you're the you're the driver. You're running the show. But if that elephant really wants to go somewhere, and the elephant is this big, and you're the little driver way up here, who's really in charge at that point? And in this case, the elephant, in most most of the time, most people, that's your habit center in your brain. And when it wants that habit, it's going to find a way to get it. It's going to put stress on you. It's going to release the, the stress and anxiety chemicals in your brain and make you anxious. And that's why even though nicotine is a stimulant, most people say smoking a cigarette calms them down. Because it's not necessarily the cigarette. It's the ritual. It's the habit. It's the celebration, the routine, all of those kind of things. So this whole idea of, oh no, I'm going to point, did I point in the right way? I'm on the wrong screen now. I think I might have actually pointed the right way in the first try again. For Nope, sure didn't. Uh, this whole idea of distraction and substitution comes into play. If you distract yourself, if you distract yourself from that craving for about five minutes or so, oftentimes you will get caught up in doing whatever you distracted yourself in, or life will happen and you'll get interrupted by something else and you'll go do whatever it is. Um, I found that to be the case with my snacking. Uh, I was never a big smoker or anything like that, but if I got hungry and I went, you know, for a walk around the block or something like that, that could help distract from that craving, and then I wasn't really hungry anymore. Um, similarly, in for for smoking, it's the idea of substitution. Can be as simple as a straw, uh, cut to the, about the same size and shape as a cigarette. I have a lot of people that tell me if you stuck a stick a Kleenex in there, or excuse me, stick a, a facial tissue in there you can actually even simulate some of the resistance and it's even more effective you get to have the same sensations and most of the same sensory stimulus but you don't have the bad things you don't have to rely on a vapor you don't have to rely on any of those kind of things you can have your cup of coffee in one hand oh no and the camera finally froze <coughs> No, nope. uh, Tootsie Roll is having some issues with the camera for just a second here, but um, having the um, the cigarette in one hand and um, something else, or the, your coffee cup in one hand and cigarette in the other hand, that's exactly what David's talking about here with using Tootsie Rolls. Where you have, um, you have some kind of distraction, some kind of substitution, some kind of other thing that is going to help um, 
trigger a lot of those same sensors. Maybe that'll help. All right, we should be back. You're gonna trigger a lot of those same sensors. Um, a lot of times I, I give people cinnamon sticks. You, not everybody likes cinnamon, but if you can use cinnamon sticks, that gives you some smell sensation and some taste. Mint toothpicks, you know, whatever flavor you want. Um, we've got a retro candy store here in town, and some people have gotten a real big kick out of using candy cigarettes. Uh, we got those back from the 80s again. Um, it's certainly not something I would give a kid these days because I don't want them to transfer like, you know, like the vapes do. But if we can get grown-ups to use them instead of cigarettes, that could be beneficial. So it's all about the distraction and the substitution. Uh, and perhaps most importantly, peer support. The counseling, I sometimes hesitate to call it counseling because a lot of times people have this negative connotation of the idea of going to the counselor because we don't like to talk about mental health stuff in our society. Um, but if you have these peer groups and you get advice from people who have been on that path before and you have walked, walked it and gone through the same things that you've gone through and, and had that, and even from the clinical side of things, if we can talk to people and support them and find what tools and what strategies and what reinforcements we can use to help people develop new habits instead of uh, you know, relying on some of these old security blankets, it's a lot more effective. Habit change doesn't happen overnight. And that's kind of the last point here is we're looking to change a habit. We're not necessarily looking for a quit. You never really quit quitting. Um, I have, uh, um, I, I, talk, I mentioned a little bit about a security blanket. It is really unfair for somebody to just yank away somebody's stress relieving tool that they've had for sometimes 20, 30, 40 years. Again, that's why you're, you're, you're the elephant caveman part of your brain goes nuts because it doesn't know what to do. It has relied upon that for a long time. And it's like if somebody's walking down the street on crutches and you kick out one of their crutches, they're going to fall down. It's unfair to expect otherwise. And it's similarly unfair, uh, David aside, um, to expect most people to be successful with changing this habit overnight and for good. So if we start looking at this as more of a long-term commitment to, to change, uh, to find new coping skills, to find new stress relievers, that's what makes it a lot more effective, um, in my opinion, um, rather than just saying you need to quit and tomorrow's your quit date and that's going to be that. So hopefully um, this has cleared up a little bit of the, uh, the, the confusion or the haze or, or the smoke surrounding a lot of these various inhaled substances and whether we can use them to quit, whether we use them to um, build new habits, maybe not so good. Um, again, what it all comes down to is if you're going to try something different, you need to understand the risks involved. Um, if you feel that using an electronic cigarette is the right cessation tool for you, I would advise trying something first, but that may be the right cessation tool for you. If you understand the risks that you may end up with something different or the same you know, down the road. Um, all in all, you know, David summed it up the best. The best thing to put into your lungs is, is air. Um, anything beyond that is going to have a certain amount of risk. It's up to you to determine whether that risk is worth it in your case. Um, but also remember that if you are trying to change those habits, don't necessarily find another as un don't make a lateral move. Don't find something that is potentially as unhealthy or even more so uh, just to quit one habit.
Uh, hopefully that makes things clear as mud for everybody, I'm sure. But uh, uh, find what works for you. I guess we could have saved about 45 seconds and just listened to David there. <laughs> so that is our lesson plan for the day. Uh, we do have some time left here. If anybody has any more questions, try to get to some of them during the course of the program here, especially during some of the technical problems. Uh, as mentioned, I've got another screen off to my side here. Uh, we're going to see um, what else. That's not muted anymore. We're going to see what else is on people's minds. We do share the program in a couple of other spots. So I need to check a couple of other places um, to see if uh, other people have commented. So we're checking in. Uh, and if you guys are not a member of our Facebook group, please come join us at COPD Navigator. Uh, on Facebook. You can search us up pretty easily or if you're on the uh, COPD Navigator page itself there's a link right there. We do have uh, I'm very fortunate to be part of a fantastic community of people again walking that path, doing that, that peer education, talking to people about their experiences, sharing their stories. Um, I have learned and grown a whole lot as a clinician uh, so we have a very welcoming environment if you are someone living with COPD, if you are a caregiver, if you are uh, a friend, if you are a family member, if you are a clinician, a respiratory therapist, a doctor, nurse, uh, if you deal with uh, this kind of lung disease at all, uh, come in, join us, um, share some of your wisdom, and hopefully you can learn as much as I have through the group here. So there is that. Um, where else are we looking here? We've got, uh, let's see like a lot of questions coming in on the other site so that's cool uh, makes things a little bit easier still looking for that fantastic technical issue or uh, that fantastic technical solution that lets me look at all the chats um, everywhere at one spot thought maybe I had found it today but then there was just a little free sample and then I was gonna have to pay 50 bucks a month and I am not there yet um, if you would care to uh, make a donation, that's fine. Hit me up. But I don't know many people who are going to be able to afford that right now. Um, however, we are, it looks like not a whole lot else is coming through. Oh, thank you very much, David. Best COPD community on Facebook. Um, we do what we can. Um, trying to expand a lot of our offerings. I have uh, in the pipeline, you know, we've got some of these, uh, these uh, try to do this every two weeks. We've got several lined up uh, on the event planner. Also trying to get back to our Spotlight series. We did a grand total of one before technical issues, uh, shut it down for a little while, and then just have not been able to find time in the schedule to get back to them. Those are a little shorter takes, uh, five to 10 minutes long about a particular topic. Uh, we did the, the one that we did was about dry powder inhalers. Next one on the agenda is meter dose inhalers, how to do the best technique you can. We're gonna have a quick one about oxygen. We're gonna have quick topics that aren't as time consuming or as much of a commitment as watching these videos on uh, uh, YouTube or, or Facebook. We do have the YouTube channel. Um, coming up very soon, uh, I hope to launch a podcast. For those of you who get tired of looking at my face, uh, you can just hear my voice, which I'm not sure is all that much better, but maybe it's a different option for you. Um, look for that coming up soon. That's gonna be a little bit more broad, uh, broadly focused. Um, some of the viewpoints in healthcare Related to uh, uh, COPD access, for example, the first one on my agenda is about the idea of prior authorizations. 
and uh, why we clinicians cannot provide the medications that they want to people um, without having to go through at least one and sometimes three or four different middlemen and layers of paperwork and all that stuff. Uh, that'll be coming soon. If anybody has any suggestions for topics for any of these media endeavors, please feel free to drop them in the comments, whichever side of the screen they happen to be on, wherever you're looking at. I uh, can even feel free to do a little YMCA action, get the cardio going there, uh, a little self-pulmonary rehab, have some fun with it. Um, and we will get those topics and all that stuff uh, as soon as possible. Craig, yes, uh, Craig, a longtime member of the group. It has come a long way. We've had our ups and downs like every group. I saw Sharon Cornelison pop in here for a second. Sharon has done a fantastic job um, I've told uh, as, a, as, a, as a new uh, administrator of the group. <clears throat> I say, I've said a couple of times, the good news is uh, my real world work has uh, uh, really taken off a lot. I've been able to spread the word about COPD a lot um, to the community. Uh, and it's given me a lot of other opportunities to develop some new programs. The downside is it has unfortunately taken, taken me away from where it all began, uh, which is this, this navigator group, uh, which has been very important to me. And I really appreciate Sharon stepping up uh, um, and taking on a, uh, an active leadership role in the group. Uh, we do have a lot of other RTs who uh, have contributed in a variety of different ways. Uh, Andy Gokenauer, um, uh, new-ish, I don't know if I can really call him new anymore, um, is a uh, um, fairly new COPD navigator type person, uh, respiratory therapist out in Nebraska, uh, who has uh, built his own um, real-world navigation program from scratch and was recently highlighted on his local news channel. Uh, which was fantastic. Uh, it's great to see everybody um, working, spreading across the country, getting more awareness for this disease that is um, outside of, uh, um, I, I always hesitate to count accidental injuries because I don't like the way they did the math, but depending on what numbers you use, the third or fourth leading cause of death in the US, third leading across the world, and yet we're like 15th on research funding. So the more people we get out there uh, talking about this stuff, uh, and putting into action the um, um, philosophies and, and the good things that we learn here, the better. I, um, the gentleman, Mike Pascal, I mentioned earlier, who is uh, um, setting up the golf outing, has said <clears throat> in his experience, it, there's still a lot of stigma. You know, we assume that COPD is a smoker's disease and you kind of deserve what you get, and that's still pretty prevalent, but even though we know. Uh, 20 to 25 percent of cases don't come from smoking and there's a lot of other factors but the more people we get like Mike the more people we get like Sharon and Andy and uh, Angela and, and all the other people out there um, on the clinical side of things uh, all the people we have uh, all the people with COPD who are, are learning that there can be better ways there can be more important information out there um, the easier it's going to get for everybody. So I really appreciate everybody's um, sharing their stories and the opportunities that this group has given me to, uh, to contribute and pay back. So, um, uh, David, yes, you can. I will definitely take a look at that. Um, otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Join us again in two weeks where we will be talking about... What are we going to talk about in two weeks? See, I also, if anybody wants to volunteer to be my uh, social media coordinator or assistant person, that would also be fantastic. On uh, two weeks, we are going to be talking about uh, learning to click on the right button. And we're going to talk about 
Ah, yes, a hot topic uh, all the time, uh, recommended by a gentleman you may have heard of by the name of Russell. We are going to be talking about uh, nutrition and COPD. Always controversial. There's always new information coming out all the time. Um, we're going to try and clarify, again, not necessarily to take a stand, but everybody's got to find the right path for them. So we're going to look at some of the, the pros and cons of a couple of the various diets that are out there and uh, just get some general healthy eating advice um, overall. Um, then uh, two weeks after that, we're going to talk about sleep, uh, sleep disorders, sleep problems, and sleep overlap syndrome in COPD. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about how to determine if you're having a bad day or if it's really a COPD exacerbation, flare-up, or whatever terminology you like to use. So we do have uh, the next uh, few events lined up here. But again, we're always looking for stuff uh, for the upcoming podcast and the other mini videos and all that stuff. So make sure you hit us up uh, on this page, on this video, in our group. Um, we've got an email address, I believe it's info at copdnavigator.net these days. Um, maybe hold off on that until I verify that. The website is coming along a little bit more slowly than I would like because I'm not as techy as I want to be and all those time constraints and all that stuff. So, But hit us up, let us know how we're doing, let us know what I can do better, let us know what you want to hear, what's going to help you out the most because this group at the end of the day is for the COPD community. So. Uh, with that, I uh, hope everybody takes care of themselves, takes care of each other as we get into the uh, allergy season here. <coughs> Excuse me again. Didn't plan that, believe it or not. But uh, um, take care, and we will see you in two weeks. Have a great day, everybody.